Welcome to Your Property Podcast. Today is the 29th of September 2021 and my name is Michelle Kearns, your host for today. So today we have got with us Max Scott. Hi Max. Hi everyone, how are you doing? Good, good to have you. So a bit of background about yourself, Max. You are Managing Director of Star Property. Uh, you started buying buy-to-lets and then you moved quickly into HMOs, blocks of flats, title splits, commercials, mixed use, and recently into large commercials and, and residential conversions. So quite the diversity. You've now got a portfolio of over 250 properties with 350 rooms valued at 55 million. So um, you have been quite busy and we're looking to find out more about you and your journey and, uh, you know, that progression. I think, it, you know, having kind of guests like yourselves on, um where we we can see that progression and uh, people who have started out and they've scaled their business is yep. really useful for our listeners uh because a lot of people who are starting out or who have scaled and perhaps looking to learn from other people who've scaled because it's quite it's quite the skill isn't it once you know buying one property is very different than owning a property business and actually managing all of that so today we're going to get into uh you know the lessons that you've learned along the way so um yeah any you know have you always been in property or was this um you know sort of later in life a change of career how did it how did it pretty much in my working life so from when I left university um I actually started from a professional uh, meeting a professional gambler at university and worked for him for a while through that I met my current boss who's a professional gambler as well and um, they also have a bookmaking betting business, which is a sort of public-facing public facing brand. So I started off in that area of the business. I came up with a couple of ideas where I made a bit of money out of, enough to pay for property courses. Um, I put all of that money into property courses when I realized I wasn't wholeheartedly into the gambling side of the business. And as I told him that I was gonna go and do property, we decided to co-found Star Property together. And we started off very, very slowly just because of the company's financial situation at the time. Um, buying you know one or two properties a year um, for the first four or five years and then it's accelerated enormously um, since then. So uh, what kind of made you you know kind of look to accelerate then because a lot of people you know they have the the odd buy to let and it's going to be their pension and it supplements their their income that they've already got um, not many people go into full-on full-time scaling the business and, and, and having so many rooms and so many properties yeah, so I, I think um, I, I remember uh, my mom gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then I saw it in Labert for a seminar, and that kind of interested me. And I, I thought at the time, if you get one property and you pay off the mortgage by the time you retire, you're going to have a better income than state pensions. And so that's what really sort of attracted me, me to it, and then the leverage returns and everything like that. And then in terms of why you do one property rather than form a property business, I, I was quite uh, lucky, I suppose, in, in that I had the opportunity to... Uh, my friend used the word, which I've never heard before, entrepreneur. So you're, you're an entrepreneur, but within an existing business. So I, you know, we basically partnered with a trading business is, is one way of looking at it, that they make profit, they give it to me and I invest it. Whereas most investors, that's what they do. And their profit comes from the investment, from added value, from remortgaging, and eventually from the rents. So as they made more money, I got more opportunity to try 
new things, to scale different ideas, to go on to bigger projects. And kind of as my skill set and capabilities grew, um, the returns and the profits on the, the betting side and the betting group of businesses uh, grew as well. And then as that grew very quickly, luckily I managed to keep up pace with what, what they were doing and, and um, haven't made too many major, major mistakes in the way, although tons of little ones. Uh, well, talk to us about the transitions between each, you know, type of strategy, because, you, you know, we've talked there about uh, single lets to HMOs. That's kind of one transition. Um, but, you know, from residential into commercial, for example, that another transition, they require new skill sets, they require um, different types of funding, different types of experience. So how did you manage to scale up then if, uh, you know, to, to make those leaps? Because I know some people, like, they feel stuck in one in one area and they're not sure how to get into another uh, strategy. I suppose I learned everything, or not everything, but on courses I was taught a lot of strategies before, years before I ever made managed to execute them. And they talk a lot about shiny sin, penny syndrome and avoiding it. And I've absolutely got that really badly. Uh, and it probably slowed me down massively for the first four or five years because I was looking at so many different things. But now I'd never be able to scale at the pace that we are without that. So in terms of moving forward from one thing to another, I think a lot of people can go through a project, lots happens, and then you're on to the next thing straight away after. You don't take time to reflect. So uh, one of the key things I've learned from, from property entrepreneurs is to really focus on your lessons learned. You should be, and, and something from a book called The Culture Code um, is what the Navy does. They have an after action review. So an AAR, after every single project they do, or um, they look at what they've learned, and then it's all about getting better for next time. And I think um, sometimes that's something which is very obvious, but it's easily forgotten. Um, and then just try and find someone with a bit more experience that's got, you know, that's done something that you're looking to try and do. Ask them what their top few tips are or what went wrong for them and um, how they or what cost them a lot of money or what made the project successful. Um, if you can ask the right person the right couple of questions, it's normally only a few minutes of their time. And if you're at networking events and you find someone that's done something you want to do, you know, ask them tell them what you're thinking of doing and they'll probably try and guide you a little bit and then that that was definitely in the early days the first sort of three four years I learned there's an expression don't make your own mistakes when you can learn from other people's and I just picked up on everything because it was so important to me that I knew I had the capability and the backing to potentially have a big business one day learning everything was so important to me so I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday but I remember something that someone told me six years ago which is suddenly relevant and there's just I don't know I'm quite lucky in that I'm passionate about property so I remember key things more naturally I suppose. And how do you know what to ask because obviously if you're speaking to people who are more experienced than you uh, you know everyone's busy and you've got a limited amount of time to perhaps you know, I, I'm not fond of the pick your brains kind of um, phrase, but, you know, if you're, if you're looking to gain some experience from somebody else, um, how, they're, yeah. How, they're doing you so what I always think is I try and always sort of smile, be nice, be, if they're enjoying a conversation or they think you're an interesting person, that's going to help. Whereas if someone asks for my help and they're just annoying, then I'm not going to give it to them. <laughs> Whereas if they're really nice and I think, well, you know, it would mean a lot to them, 
important and it's clear, it's concise. I don't really have a strategy for that because I suppose I can just sort of, in a situation, ask the right question more naturally yeah. where it feels like it comes naturally to me. But I think just think about what's important for you and then ask, and then that will kind of, if you'll know what you need to achieve because it's important, that will probably make you think of the right question. So maybe just think about the right question for a few minutes before you go into something or meet the right person before you go to a networking event. Being clear in what you're looking for, that's quite hard as well. Um, yeah. And if you know what you're trying to do, you'll normally find a way of, of doing it. Um, Google will probably help you out in, in a big <laughs> way as well. So if you can put the right, when my mother ever asked for IT help, she's better than me now, I've got worse. But if you articulate the right question into Google, you'll find most answers as well. So it's kind of about really clarifying what you need to know. Mm. And how does that tie in with your vision? And so clarifying what you, you know, that the clarity is really important and seeking out the right kind of advice. Um, but picking up on something you just said before about the shiny penny syndrome and, um, uh, you know, I suppose trying out new strategies um or looking to to get into different strategies um was that always clear a clear path or you know was it kind of like right okay I've done HMOs now I want to go into commercial so that's my new focus or it was, was, it never, it was already about trying to do more to be honest that that kind of happened organically but one of the things is that I think the first year where I probably bought you know, a lot of property was maybe 2016, it's about six million quid in a year, which is an awful lot when you're trying to get ambitious numbers on each on each project. So I quickly realized that I can't just focus on buy-to-lets in this area or HMOs in this town. I need a bigger catchment area than that. And then that's, I think, what's led me onto bigger projects. So if I thought, I remember thinking when our level of funding increased at the beginning of the year and my investment target went to 12 million a year to 35 million a year that I had to buy, but I can't do HMOs anymore because I leave in 80 grand. I can't do I can't do 12 a month. So I've got to do something bigger. And then you find a pub which has the potential to be an HMO conversion. And we agreed it's subject to planning. So the only risk was on the planning fees, really. And that was really, I suppose, how we started going into a bigger project. And then if you don't know how to do something, can you make part of your team people that do? Right. If you've got the right project manager who's done that type of project before, can you pay them a bit more to take on additional responsibilities? And, um, you know, most people are kind of helpful to do that. Mm, okay. And in terms of like, obviously, the growth and, and, and managing the business side of things, because obviously property, investing in property is is quite different than managing a business uh, often uh, so those business skills and you talked about actually you know investing in yourself and your education uh, with property entrepreneur and uh, and that sounds like that's you know really helped kind of with the clarity and the structure um, so how you know in terms of like managing the deal flow and the finance side of things um, getting that balance right from not overstretching yourself um, but not having money sitting there as well How does so I suppose there's two questions in that one, one is the business operational side of things and, and growing a business rather than being an investor uh, and the other was um, managing finance and deal flow so managing the business side of things someone's written a book on everything so I just try and read a lot that was definitely how I gained a lot of experience early on and that's why I think I've moved forward as a person in terms of what I'm able to do is because once you've understood someone's thoughts on there's a whole book of you know difficult conversations all that will help and the more you understand about things like that you're just 
everything starts with a single step and it's moving forward by an inch rather than by a mile. Everyone, um, I like the expression, overestimates what they can achieve in a year and underestimates what they can achieve in 10. If you have a really long view and an attitude of continued improvement, um, you know, eventually, and you remember the lessons and you think things through properly, you'll just slowly build your capabilities. Um, I've got no sort of magic answer in that, but you know, it's just, you've just got to move forward inch by inch and just think about learning as much as you can along the way as quickly as possible. Great, and the second part? So in terms of managing deal flow, that's particularly, I think for any investor, I mean, <laughs> I got uh, a minor telling off from our financial director recently for not getting the timeframes of my mortgages sheet. So how much, what we're going to release when from each remortgage of unencumbered properties or properties where we're releasing a smaller amount of money. And you're trying to know what you can buy when. Are you buying cash? Is it in auction? Is it subject to a mortgage? When are you going to have what money available? If you have too much money sitting in the bank, you're losing out to inflation, let alone not making a return. If you have no money in the bank, it can be quite nerve wracking with your commitments. Um, and trying to stretch that, I suppose, is really difficult. So I think knowing you've got a few options is always good. Um, so if you can find a couple of people where maybe your rate of borrowing will be higher, but you know that they'll be reliable and they'll be there if you need them, that's a great backup option to have. And knowing where things can be delayed as well. So like with solicitors, that's often a big cause of delay. And if you've got certain obstacles that you need to overcome, you might sort of deal with certain obstacles slower if that's going to take a huge amount of your cash to, to get that done. It means the seller knows that they don't have to be unhappy with you because they can see that there's a genuine issue. So focusing on attacking the right issues at the right time. And so also, for example, I, I don't have a lot of money in it. Well, for us as a big group of you know investment companies, they don't have a huge amount of money in the bank at the moment. We've just exchanged on a deal, which is 2.65 million. I've got three month delay completion on it. I can bring that forward to five weeks if I want. So that gives me a two month window where I've got massive flexibility on whether our money situation changes. And ours would change more than others because we focus on a specific um, area on the betting side. Um, it tends to lead to sort of big profits, flat profits, big profits, flat profits. So we've got that problem on, on steroids, but if you're in a luxurious position being able to buy the odd property in cash, then maybe you can get bridging against that when the next deal comes along, you'll pay for it, but you know, it, it's worth it. If the deal's worth it, and then you, you can remortgage as and when you know you're able to. So I think if you're able to have some in cash and line some projects up, and you know you can get faster finance at higher price, that's the best I've come up with. But really, there's no magic solution. Exchange delay completions, all sorts of things like that. It's just kind of managing as many little things as, as you can as you go away. There's not sort of like an easy answer, but flexibility on different finance types is probably the biggest one. Mm. And then obviously you've got the the properties you're actually purchasing, but also the deal pipeline coming through as I guess as well. So, um, are, you know, kind of going back to the point about the uh, the shiny penny and different strategies, like is it always a case of uh, so for, for now, for example, the next deals that you're looking at are there a certain type of deal with certain criteria, or are you open to whatever comes along, you know, just uh, it might be commercial, but it might be uh, some land. It might be, you know, opportunity for new builds or something. It's a bit about what um, what is available. That's definitely the, the first thing. Um, also, as we do have quite a big uh, buying 
budget or target. If I know that something's literally attracted an auction, it's probably not the property to go for because it's attractive to lots of people. Other people have a uh, less stringent criteria. They're probably going to bid more. It's going to be very competitive. There's a high, even if there's 15 people that look at a property, that's not huge for something that's an attractive lot. One in 15, you know, that's a lot of work you're going to do per property that you're buying. If you have to pay it a tiny bit more for off market, but it means that you're, it's there if you want it and can meet that price, that helps. Try to sort of line up. So one of the areas we buy in is Ireland, and there's a certain type of property there called a 363. And they're riddled with title and planning issues. So I have to factor in that that can go through any time between two months and eight months. They can take an enormous amount of time to overcome the obstacles. And there's probably a fall through rate of anywhere between 15 and 35%. Um, and so I know that if I'm looking at those, I need to line up more deals and have a more wider range of cash flow. And that is the nice thing about auction. If you can move quickly, if something fails to sell, you're kind of probably out of one, two or three and the auctioneer will normally tell you what's going on. And if you can move in 24, 48 hours, then you know you've got a deal, it's locked in. You can manage your cash flow because you know what you need and when. And um, so that really helps as well. So it's all kind of about managing reliable deals, ones that might fall through, ones that have high obstacles lining up more of those. And then my biggest challenge at the moment, we've got one very, very large deal, which is over 10 million pounds going through. If that doesn't go through, and there's two obstacles at the moment that are outside of our direct control, then suddenly what I'm going to need to replace that with is going to mean I've got a very busy, stressful end of the year, uh, as I've got a baby coming up in June and December, which I could do without. So if we get that deal through, then that takes a bit of pressure off we move forward with our target. So my lesson on that one, it is a good deal. It is worth going for, but I certainly wouldn't want too many of them because if you, you could almost affect your year by... 25, 30% in what you get through because you focus on something too big. And I remember, you know, meeting someone at Property Network event that I went to a lot that he said, I've done, spent too much time on big deals that really hard to come up. Um, so you've got to balance something that's nice and easy. You'd always get it through. Like if we're looking at a freehold house, there's very rarely any problem that stops you from buying it if you're factoring doing full renovation anyway. Um, whereas other things, is, it's more likely. Yeah, I, re I really like that idea of just having that balance there. And uh, like you say, just focusing on the bigger deals that fall through, then you've got nothing to show for it at the end of the year. It's uh, um, And equally that applies to, um, you know, commercial. One of the nice things about that is if it's left, you get the income straight away. So as we've got money coming into the company all the time, I don't need to try and focus on working really hard to get your money out. It happens and it's nice when it does. But if you only focus on those projects, you wouldn't have income next month. So some of the developments can take four to eight months to build, but then you've got to get them tenanted. There might be a lot of work before that. They can be 12 months projects. The, the pub conversion I did, I negotiated on it for three months, then they went with someone else, then that fell through, then it came back to us, then it was subject to planning, then the planning came through. You know, it was probably 80, almost two years from when I first started talking to the owner it to when it was let and remortgaged if you do only those projects you're going to struggle with cash flow so it's balancing cash flow and uplift and all the different types of investment that you can do and like i said ones that are easy to go through and ones that aren't yeah definitely uh, development developments aren't for if you need cash flow right now and replacing your income 
<laughs> and they, they soak up so much money along the way as well that uh, I guess you need to have that stable income from either you know the, the, the salary or other portfolio of properties coming in so that you can manage that uh, as you go along. Yeah, and in terms of actually, you know, some of the numbers you're talking about there for people who have got just sort of the standard buy-to-lets, then they're huge numbers, um, uh, you know, the big deals. What about the risk element then? Because, and and I say that even though, obviously, if you're going to look at something and you and you're prepared to move forward with it, then we would imagine you've done all of your due diligence and you, you feel like you can mitigate the risk. And in that sense, perhaps there's some exit strategies or uh, or you're confident yeah. in the deal itself. Um, but at the end of the day, I guess you've got to put some sort of personal guarantee down or um, your, if, if things did go wrong and, you know, um, how, how do you manage that on a, from a mindset I think there's three things there that you said which are really, really um, interesting. One, one is risk, due diligence, and exit strategies. Okay, so from a risk perspective, that is something where we're in an incredibly unique and uh, very fortunate position. We've got background in professional gambling. You know, it's all about people ask me when I go to the races, who's going to win? Because they know what my background is. It's never about who's going to win, it's all about the price. It's a bit like, what's the best property on the street? What price can you get each for? So, in terms of risk, you know, we take bets of very large numbers, half a million quid. You know, I turn the TV on at Royal Ascot and I hear that we've taken a bit that much. And then the one I get had a bet on gets chinned on the line and, and, and we lose a fortune. But it's all part of the bigger picture. If you lose small on something but win big on something else, we would have the attitude towards doing that. And that's what makes you an entrepreneurial company is you accept that you're going to lose, but you're going to win more than you lose. And, and that's what's important. But at the same time, you can't do that on your first deal. You can't have the first one go wrong. What can you afford to lose on a deal is a very you know good question. And I did make some mistakes early on um, where I thought I'd done the right levels of due diligence and I couldn't trust things like writs available you know, and, and reports that we rely on. And so I've learned a lot the hard way, and I think it's only because of going through and having more challenges, certainly than I've heard other people talk about, whether they've had them or not, I'm, I'm sure there's an element of that as well. Um, but that's also led to us being able to do so much now, is because I've had so many things that have caused me a problem and been difficult and been obstacles that we've managed to get past that we've, we've now got more experience than those by trying to take on things that are beyond us at the moment. But it's all about at what point you legally commit. So in terms of due diligence, you can agree something. Richard Branson says, if someone offers you a good opportunity, say yes and figure out how to do it afterwards. So that's great in property, as long as you figure out 90% of it or whatever is really critical before you exchange. It's all about that, that point in time. And I think, so in terms of due diligence, think about where things can go wrong. It always takes longer, costs more, um, et cetera. Has everything been thought through on it? Just look at where it can go wrong. And if you can overcome each one of those things where it can go wrong, then you've got a plan. And if it costs you 1,500 quid in legals, that's probably a, probably a good, uh, probably a worthwhile risk to be taking if the deal's enough, if you've got that one. So you've got the plan, you've got, you consider it a worth worthwhile risk. But I guess the question is, if you're betting the ranch, if, if for some unknown reason, 
and then you know that might be something completely outside of your control uh you don't get the numbers that you need and you're having to kind of cover that cost personally and and i suppose it's uh you know it, it could send you under like is that worth the risk like or is it just if, if it's ever you haven't got a choice <laughs> then no i mean no. it's definitely not going to be worth it to send you under and that might be the sort of opportunity where the risk reward, it's all that risk reward ratio and you've got to learn how to accurately as possible understand what that risk is and if you can understand the risk you know a bet can be three to one that means there's one in three chance that the other person's going to win well that's fine but can, can you price up the risk can you think about what chance it is of being put? and if you can't or it would send you under but if it wouldn't send me under can you send that to me that we do it because and then we can pay you based on if it goes through. Do you know what I mean? So if you can't do something, if it's too big for you, pass it on to someone that it's not. Don't waste the opportunity. And you mentioned before about working with other people. So I, I guess the alternative is rather than just passing it on, that you could work with somebody else and bring them in. Yeah, absolutely. And essentially, that's what we did in the early days when we started Star Property together. Is I work with someone that's got a business which makes a lot of money and I've built the property business off the back of it. I do far more and bigger deals because of it. Yeah. He's got an investment company. And, you know, we're part of a group and a, and a team together now. Um, and, you know, yeah, exactly. Work with someone that's able to able to get things done with you. So whatever you don't have, try and find someone that lacks those skills. And I think it's um, something that everyone... If you, if you ask everyone whether they're better than average at driving, you'll probably get 90% of people saying yes. <laughs> so it's all about being able to critically analyse yourself and be aware of your weaknesses without ego and then saying, well, I know I'm good at that. I need to find someone that is. I'm not saying I can do everything or I'm the best at it. That's just not going to be true, is it? If you find yourself telling yourself that, then you're probably going to get in trouble down the line. So Yeah. And, uh, you know, talking about the opportunities and how that... Clearly you have... Uh, make considerable progress in a short amount of time so um, can you talk to us about the I guess the compound effect of, of the the exponential growth there and how that's I'm glad you asked uh, that question it's a very good um, question about the compound effect so I'm just gonna if you don't mind ask you a question if you start with one penny and double it how much do you think you have after 91 days um I, I do you know what i think i've done this before and i'm certainly no math expert but so i'm gonna cheat only because i've seen it it's, it's something like over a million yes yeah, so a lot of people i ask say a fiver or a tenner very very clever sort of started working it out with extra power off and i don't even know what that means it, it's 10.7 million and i think if it goes 38 times it gets well over a billion quid and the vast majority of that comes in the very late stages. And I suppose actually the compound effect is, is probably quite representative of, of my journey. You know, for four or five years, which is quite a long time, I was working really hard and didn't make enough, didn't make very much progress. Uh, and then we bought the first book of flats at auction, did the first title split. And I think that was when things started to gain momentum. That was a combination of you know financial backing, uh, the level of that changing. Um, but also most people give up just before they become successful. And there's, there's a great book um, outlines by Malcolm Gladwell. And it's all about the 10,000 hours. And you think that the people 
who are the best at something are the luckiest and they've just spent more hours doing it. They were passionate, they were, you know, playing the piano for two hours a night from when they were four or whatever. They've just got more experience and they didn't change course, which meant all that knowledge is accumulated. Um, and then of course there's, so, so that example of doubling a penny, all right, we don't get 100% returns on property. Um, otherwise over 31 years, you, you'd have very good, very good outcomes. But, you know, the difference between 10% ROI and 15% is massive after one year, let alone two, three, four, five years where that compound effect becomes that bit more. So I, I think it applies to knowledge as well as finance, uh, the compound effect and what you're able to do. And if you work on one skill, which property is something that even if it's your own house and you're going to try and get one buy to let by the time you retire. That's why I thought the first course I was on was, was a thousand pounds. I thought there's no way over my lifetime not going to be something that's worthwhile doing because of the sort of length of time involved and if you work on one thing for long enough you'll, you'll build up a huge amount of knowledge mm. and um would you agree as well that the compound effect it's that there's some momentum in actually taking action and going for the deals and deals attract deals yeah absolutely um that was one of the uh, big lessons that i i learned the beginning of this year um or, or actually probably more recently this summer um i don't know about anyone else but i have sort of deal paranoia um and i as soon as i have a deal for like a couple of weeks i think oh god is the market changing there's not enough stock am i going to find something well, i can't find the same numbers again what are we going to do and then a couple of will come along at once it's a bit like especially like about buses they will come along at once and um you've just got to keep persisting i remember one i think it was when the stamp duty changed in 2015 in the run-up to that change i was the second highest bidder on something like nine properties in a row in a row of auctions so just to sort of keep going when you feel like you can't and believe that you can um yeah it's a strikers mentality versus defenders they believe that they're going to get them behind the back so they make the run to do it and if they didn't believe it they wouldn't make the run they never would get the opportunity to have the goal so so the lesson that I really learned about doing deals is that the best way to do, to get more deals is to do more deals because, and that's why we're quite lucky as working in an auction commercial agency because our, um, our director, he acts for a lot of other big clients as well. He will find stuff for them off market. He works with other agents. So in terms of what people think Star do, there's everything I, there's everything that he's involved with for other people. And doing what you say you're going to do, you know, property is a small world anyway, let alone in a town like Brighton or, or Sussex. And if you chip last minute all the time or let people down all the time, you're not going to get the next offer accepted. That, that will get out, or at least with that agent. And if you say you're going to buy it in cash and do it quickly and you do that, you know, everyone thinks that agents might be manipulating things or trying to get the prices up. Their benefit in getting an extra 5% on the sale price is tiny on their commission compared to actually someone that's going to do the deal. And that's why, you know, it goes to people that, that do the deals. And so I think for as long as you do deals, they say, oh, you bought that. I've got something similar. Do you want it? And that's where we're gaining momentum now. And that's where I've sort of relaxed a little bit in the last couple of months, knowing that we will get more stuff because people know us as people that do deals. Fantastic. Well, um, is there anything, any kind of final advice you'd give pe to people who are looking to scale up and they're at the beginning of their journey? Anything you kind of look back on and think, I wish I'd done that differently or? Um, there's no, there's no one big thing, but learn from as many of other people's mistakes as possible. There's plenty of them out there. 
look at what you're trying to do and find someone else that's done it. You know, a lot of people, um, this is Ray Daly, is one of the richest people in the world and runs a hedge fund. A lot of people say, if you've got an idea, they try and find someone that supports their idea. And then they found that someone that supports it thinks it's a good idea. And everyone's got an opinion on everything. So it's not necessarily relevant. You should try and find the most believable person or experienced person that disagrees with you and understand their reason. And in terms of due diligence and obstacles and important factors in getting a deal through, if they've challenged you and you still think you can help on the other side, then you probably can uh, and should go with it. So, um, yeah, without more of a more thought into that question, that, that would be my answer. That's great. Thank you. Well, it's a good place to wrap up. I think we'll, um, we'll leave it there. So thank you so much for your time and sharing that experience with with our listeners and um it's you know we look forward to kind of watching your progress as you continue on and um, what's next and where can people find out more about you uh so what's next for us well we're always looking for lots of new deals we've got a lot of funding available in the next couple of weeks and months so uh we primarily buy in east and west sussex so let us know uh, if you've got anything around there but we do also buy in dublin and, and countrywide if, if the deal is good enough um, you know, we're growing lots of trading businesses as well. Um, everything that supports our main aim of growing the property investment company. So we've got auction commercial agency, um, legal to buying solicitors, which should go through in the next couple of weeks. So, um, you know, we really want an insurance company. We're aiming to become the work, you know, a one-stop property shop, construction, maintenance, everything like that. So we've got a 19 million pound pipeline of deals going through at the moment. So if we can get all of that through, we'll be in a big place and hopefully, um, You'll be hearing more from us, our journey, growing deals and businesses. And um, we'll try and post updates at our Instagram page, which is uh, Star Property UK. And um, yeah. That's great. Well, we'll put the uh, links to those in the show notes as well. And, um, and all the best with your next project. Sound very exciting. So look out for them. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very great. much. Michelle. Thanks very much, Max. And for anyone who is not yet a subscriber of the magazine, then please click the link in the show notes for your first uh, 30-day free trial. Thanks, guys, and see you next time.